With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis with outstanding tennis journalist Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. And we're going to get into a major theme on today's show, which is motivation. And we'll start with a really surprising result that uh, that occurred in Vienna in the quarterfinal. Lorenzo Sinego defeats Novak Djokovic, surrendering only three games. It was the worst loss of Novak's career in a three-setter, only matched by uh, Marit Safin, who beat him um, in the Australian Open in 2005, also only surrendering three games. Amy, what the heck happened here? It was also, Gil, the first time in his career that Novak has lost to a lucky loser. Mm. So after the match, Novak had some interviews with the media and he said, I came here to clinch the number one. I won a couple of matches. I did my job. And then that was it. That was really all I needed. So he did not say I threw the match or I didn't try. He, he, he could be fined for something like that. But he walked right up to that line and said, you know, basically that he wasn't expending a lot of effort or he wasn't going to worry too much about the loss. Joel, you said that Sampras did a, a similar thing when he broke the, the very record that in the 1998, Sampras uh, finished, clinched, finishing the year number one for the sixth straight time. And this was at the season ending Masters event. And then he lost a three setter to Alex Grecia. I mean, uh, look, the emotional aspects of having clinched the year in number one, similar to a baseball team, let's say clinching a division or a pennant, uh, can naturally lead to some emotional things. I mean, the, the match, Novak, Sampras lost in three sets in that match. Uh, Novak lost pretty badly. That happens to people. I mean, you know, you could see there'd be some emotional aspects. And Ego's a good player. And again, I guess my thing with Novak, I still am curious about the the effect of having had COVID and how his body feels. I mean, it must be, you know, and this is someone who is carefully measured and how that affects him and where he is at physically and how he feels. And so there he did. He, he came to Vienna, probably hoping to get enough points to clinch number one. And he did. He seems to be a, a really goal oriented person. And uh, I kind of connect to that. I think I'm the same way. I, I put a goal in front of me. I remember my my freshman year of high school, I actually asked my coach, uh, what should my goals be? And because I just wanted to know, like, what am I shooting here for? I, I want that. I crave that. And when I graduated as a senior and the coach made a, a speech about all the seniors who are leaving, he actually brought that up. And it happened four years ago. And he said, you came up to me as a freshman and asked me, what should my goals be? And I'm like, who is this kid? And why is he like, why is he like this? So that was the story that was told about me. I think Novak's similar. I'm glad I didn't ask that of my high school coach. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting about things like goals and visions. I mean, some, and I think maybe that also 
Novak, you look at him, he's like the, he's the insurgent in this, in our three. It was first Rafa and Roger ruled the world. So they were kind of like the big kids. They were like the older, the older brothers. And then along came Novak. And so in a way the, the course had been laid out. It's kind of like you could do all this research on birth order and here he is. And so, oh, okay, this is what some of the markers are, even though they've already been established before, but look, these had, these guys are setting the bar. And also in a competitive thing, this is how well I have to play to be with them and to beat them. So I could see what make Novak that way. And he's very, there's something very, um, very focused and businesslike about him. And it's quite admirable. I mean, you see the steps he took with his way back with his diet and his fitness and all of these things, very, very organized and methodical. It's funny, when I was watching the replay of the match last night, I was thinking, did he eat gluten? Because that's the way he looked. It was like, uh, just, it was the same Novak that you always see, his, his same style of play. It was just, he was a half a step behind where he normally is. If he normally stretches out this far, he was half a step closer to the center mark. You know, it's, it's like he wasn't quite getting there. He was also playing extremely quickly on his service games. I mean, he's, he's a pretty, you know, he, he usually serves at a pretty good clip anyway, and doesn't take a ton of time unless he's in one of his ball bouncing modes. But even for him, I started counting like one, 1,000, two, 1,000. It was like seven seconds between some of his serves. And it was very clear that he did not want to be there. Now, yep. I, I will say though, Gil, that even though it hasn't been a physically taxing year, it's been mentally exhausting for him. Well, he did, have, he did have COVID, so there's a physical... Not the physical exhaustion of tennis, but again, this, uh, what, this virus, whatever you want to call it, this virus that none of us really knows what toll it takes. Even on probably the most, it's, it's hard to think of someone who's more fit on the planet than Novak Djokovic, but we, I wonder about that. Well, on the emotional note, uh, he also, there was a death um, that's uh, somewhat close to him. The last name is Radovich. Uh, he's a prominent figure within the Serbian Orthodox Church, and Novak did reference this person who had died shortly before the match, and Novak had heard of it uh, about it. So I don't know if that had anything to do it to do with it. This wasn't overly publicized, but I did get a few comments about it, and I did verify it. So I do think that it, it seemed like his head was somewhere else, and it, there may have been not one, not two, but maybe three reasons for that. Right. The other thing is that as the podcast goes on, you guys will pick up that this is a huge theme for me. I don't think we should be playing tennis right now, professional tennis. Uh, it's just, and now I understand this year with COVID, the calendar got all wonky and you had to squeeze some tournaments in that you wouldn't normally, but I think the sport needs to shut it down uh, shortly after the U.S. Open, um, maybe a, a few weeks, and then you do the tour finals, and then that should be it. And before everybody crowds my inbox in the comments section with hate mail. I, I don't think I, anyone's going to have a problem with this take, but go on. Uh, 
no, a lot of people do. They're, they're like, you must not like tennis because you don't want tennis 24 seven, 365. Um, but actually, I believe that and, and I have like a television background. So I understand the um, sort of waves of what the public um, likes and how the rhythms of how they like to, you know, consume the sports products. I think that all sports need a rest. They need a sleep period to reflect on the previous year and build excitement. That's the key. You want to build anticipation. You want to just, oh, I can't wait to see tennis again, you know, so you need that sleep period. And um, I, I think the players also need a, a chance to just reset. And I'm not talking about three weeks in December. I mean, three months is really what they need. So you're talking about the calendar reform, and this is independent of COVID. You're opining that, let's say, from September 15th on, though I find that I, I get it. And as an American, I get that. But I, I play this around in my head, too. And then I look at the, how would I put it, the, the decentralized nature of tennis. And I look at the marketplace. And I look at the fans in China, in Europe, in parts of the world that enjoy attending tennis tournaments and 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 the promoters enjoy putting on and the players i wrote this a few years ago where I, I maybe i thought it for the very top players the season might be too long because they they've got they got plenty of match play by by even by the u.s open they've had plenty of, ah but for the players who are lower ranked it's not long enough they can't get enough weeks because they need the, they need those played appearances to generate their ranking points so and also joel i want to make clear like when you talk about calendar reform in the sport of tennis, that doesn't mean I think you should just chop off the Asian swing. I think the entire calendar top to bottom should be regionalized. And so you're not crisscrossing the globe constantly. And that the, the tournaments that are having trouble surviving shouldn't I'm sorry, but they should not survive. I don't think we should force these um, events into the calendar if, you know, they're they're being propped up any which way they can. And um, so I think that the calendar needs to be trimmed, reorganized, regionalized, and certainly there should be an Asian swing, certainly, but maybe it should be in conjunction with the Australian Open, for example, because that part of the world is, is close. It's just, that's my opinion. And to see Novak um, play that match, my, my heart kind of went out to him. I was like, I don't even think the guys should be playing right now. I totally agree with the, the notion that the big problem with this time of year is there's nothing that we're building up to. And I know, Joel, we talk about, we debate what is the, the tour finals or what used to be the Masters Cup and, and what does it really mean? But look, it, it doesn't feel like a major, that's for sure. It doesn't have that buildup. So it's not that I think the season is too long, but I agree with you that this post-major season is a time of year where tennis is not at full capacity. It's just, it's not all there. And I think we saw that yesterday. I mean, it's, uh, again, the main theme of our show, motivation. 
I find that motivation is sometimes all over the place, as is health at this time of year, health of the body. And that's why we get wacky results. We get uh, Jack, Jack Sock has won Paris. Karen Hatchinov won Paris. And no disrespect, take nothing away from them. But we don't see these kind of erratic results at Indian Wells. And well, Indian Wells maybe isn't even the best example because that doesn't lead up to a major. But we don't see wacky results at Rome. We don't see wacky results at Cincinnati so much, right? And can that well, be attributed to motivation? The building up towards these, right, towards these four tent poles. I mean, that's kind of what the tennis year is. And so it's, it's an interesting question. But again, it kind of gets to the whole way the marketplace of the sport exists. I mean, I think from a narrative point of view, right. I mean, no, for example, I will not look back on the history of tennis and reward or penalize a player for any outcomes that were generated after the U.S. Open. Again, we're never going to look back at, well, he never won Vienna. He never right. won. The, and that's, that's kind of the, the, the nature of these events that's, that's tricky. You know, it's like, you're right. It's like, well, an ex-pro I know said, yeah, that time of year, he called it the point safari. You know, you're, you're getting ranking points and things are happening in some of the yeah, some of the top players aren't in their best form. They're a little tired. They're withdrawing from events. And so that gives other players a chance to get points. And yeah, wacky things, wacky things happen that don't seem in the norm. And I don't know. I mean, the answer is that's a long, that's a real crunchy tennis calendar question. I mean, and what I've noticed when I talk to people, present company excluded, they're all looking to make reform, not at their, not at their expense, though. Like, I remember someone who ran a tournament one part of the year. He was all for Davis Cup happening in one week at another time of the year. And I thought, that's right. It's no skin off your tournament's nose. I see. But it's just, yeah. so that's a, that's a challenge in tennis. Everyone thinks, yeah, they want that thing fixed, but not their deal. So things like, like the Asian thing, like where, how, and also, and then in this COVID and post-COVID world, the economics and the, the social nature of things. I mean, where are people going to want to travel and how are they going to feel safe? That I hope there are folks in tennis really giving that some deep, deep thought. Well, I think that the Players Association, this is where that comes in. And they, I, I, we can argue until the cows come home about whether the ATP really is a Players Association as it started or whether it's become a tour which is like a league analogous to the nba or something like that we can argue that till the it's cows come home it's a partnership it's a partnership with the it's a, between both of them right that's right. right but the players they aren't organized the way a traditional union would be so right. for them to be able to have a voice in redoing the calendar or any of this stuff I, I feel personally, I'm with Novak, I do feel that they need to organize this and have a voice. And like you mentioned before, the lower level players and, and all that. So um, I'm really, I'm on Novak's side tremendously. And I hope that the Players Association works out, although I haven't heard much on it lately. I haven't heard a, I haven't heard a peep from it since the US uh, Open. I, I have an update. Um, Go ahead, Gail. They are. According to Brett McCormick of the Sports Business Journal, who uh, I spoke to on Monday Match Analysis, they have a meeting scheduled after the season. So we're probably not going to hear anything until um, Andrea, um, I'm forgetting Gadenzi. his last name, Gadenzi, Gadenzi, meets with the Players Association. And then 
you know, once they come together, hopefully we'll see what comes of that and we'll get answers. But yeah, it's like, it's basically dormant until the season ends is, is what it seems like. That's fascinating. You know, they put out their, their statements and then went into the, have gone into this kind of like uh, what a quiet period. And mm-hmm. I await to see what they wish to do and how yes. they wish to lead. I, I wrote uh, my tennis.com colleague, Steve Tigner and I wrote something about it a little while ago about Novak and th- what I hope for him for the rest of the year. And I look for him to play, continue to play a leadership role with that. I'm intrigued to see what it is. Well, let's uh, shift gears to Nadal. And that doesn't mean we'll shift gears away from motivation as uh, that is still very relevant with what we're talking about. What, why is Nadal playing Paris Bercy? Do we have any theories? Well, I have to credit the people in our comment section because when we did our last podcast, we were talking about points and year in number one and things like that. And what does it all mean? And of course, I took the stance that in the grand scheme of things in the history of tennis, I don't think that questions of points and you're in number one are anywhere in league with slams. So now, now the question of whether you're in number one means something to the players individually, that's almost a separate question. But some people pointed out, so we were all asking like, why is Nadal playing right now? Why is Nadal playing? Why is Nadal playing? If he's worried about COVID, which was supposedly the reason he didn't play the US Open, COVID is blowing up across Europe, especially in France. Why has he committed to these tournaments toward the end of the year in Europe? And um, some of the commenters in our comment section said, don't you understand he's actually not trying to get the year in number one which novak has all but clinched but he is actually trying to get two away from dominic team so that he will have the two seed at the australian open and will not have to be in novak's side of the draw wow that makes perfect sense right gil yeah it it does (laughs) <laughs> however i mean look it's not a foregone conclusion that that it's all right. about that two seed and it, it is very important to have a two seed versus a three seed in a major but let's not dismiss the fact that maybe nadal who has not competed a lot over the course of this season just wants to compete more i think i like that i think that's true that nadal wants to compete more he has a pretty good comfort level in the city of paris when it comes to competing uh, I also think, you know, I went round and round on this whole thing about the seeds because when, when, uh, when you texted it to us last week, Amy, I thought about it. I've interviewed a lot of great tennis players and I've talked to them about some of these questions like Rod Laver. I don't think Rod Laver ever cared when he was seated. And when I would ask him about that, he said, well, you need to beat these people anyway. However, so I'm thinking Nadal, I mean, I, I get the view of like Nadal doesn't want to have to play Novak in the semis. He's Nadal. I think at one level, he doesn't care when he has to play Novak. However, he can say that and he can say, I'm a champion. And I know these players can carry themselves as, as champions and they will say that publicly. And I know this is, this is the whole challenge of a, of a topic that mostly revolves around action. And, when, and, and a lot of the saying, Pete Sampras used a great word once he said, that's all commentary. So we don't actually know, like does Nadal 
Does he really, would he really prefer to play Novak in the finals? Does he, or does he just want to win matches? So I don't know. I'd like to think, I'd like to think that for a player, they don't care what they're, a champion doesn't care what they're seated because they're better than people anyway. But I don't know. I don't, and so, so maybe it's true. Maybe Nadal really does hunger for that number two. And this just has to do with what, if, if you, he would never say, oh, I don't want to be in Novak's half. He would never say that, but maybe he preferred to play for five. Let, let me interject with some breaking news. Um, so the, the two seed is, is all but a foregone conclusion for Nadal, uh, the number two ranking. His Dominic team has withdrawn from Paris with a blister on his foot. I, I just caught this. I did not have that info when we started here, but that broke about an hour ago. Um, meanwhile, team lost early-ish in Vienna, a tournament that he won last year, and he made the finals in London at the O2 Arena for the ATP finals last a, a season ago. So if we're looking at everything, there's very few points that Dominic team has the opportunity to pick up here. What about the Paris Masters? Well, he, he withdrew. Oh, he withdrew. Okay, I see what you're yes. saying. Okay. So okay. so it's 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 looking like the two seed will happen for Nadal. Now that does not take away the fact that Nadal may have still played this tournament uh, and entered in Paris Bercy because he wanted to make sure his number two ranking was intact. But, but the the just just to again, I'm not a points person, right? Um, yep. But the uh, the year and the tour finals don't they give away tons of points at that thing? Of course. 1500. So you're saying though that Nadal is pretty much what if Dami won that thing? Well, well he was he was a finalist. So he'd get he only get so much better. Remember this is yeah. the whole quirkiness like in Nadal Nadal last year lost in the semis of Paris, team lost in the third round. So so yeah, this whole thing about I mean there's motivation. Rafa played the tour finals last year though, right as well. Lost, lost in the round robin. Yeah. He did. Okay. So he can exceed. He can, he has a, he's hoping to do better. His Paris, he got to the semis, but this thing on motivation, I think motivation is kind of like multi-layered with these folks. And it's also kind of a thing. Like I, I want to clarify the whole thing about year end number one, how, of course, slams matter more, but in the view of history, the view of history, I think it's a deeply significant way of evaluating a player's major resume of the year end number one. That's what the player, the players say a lot of stuff. That's what I've come to see a lot in this game for all these years is that they say things, they say things. And sometimes they're almost baited into saying things like, would you say finishing the year number one is important to you? What's the player going to say? No. You know, it's like, it's, it's funny. It's like, we've all been in these press conferences. You see the way, you know, answers are fished and gathered. And Amy, you and I have been around enough of this stuff to sports to see how that can happen. Right. You can, you can, yeah. you can fish for the quote you want. The players, yeah. no, number one doesn't matter to me. You know, and it's, so there's all this, again, commentary and the, the motivation about rankings and it's not even points. And sometimes it's just called winning matches. Just want to win matches. Well, here's what Novak said after losing. Yes, clinching the number one had an effect on me today. I've done what I came here for, securing the number one. And I move completely. And I am completely fine with today's result. I am healthy and looking forward to a strong finish in London. So that's a quote from Novak. So, I mean, I don't think he was baited into that. I, I think no. he was saying no. that it did matter to him. 
Um, he wasn't baited into that, but there are other there I'm talking about other situations year round, year after year. With you know, in this situation, he uh, yeah, he made it pretty clear what he came to Vienna to accomplish. And don't we see this all the time when players achieve monumental goals at in, at you know any given time? They there is often a dip in engagement um, shortly thereafter. Well, that's the rat. That's the thinking. Why this whole post U.S. Open time of year is strange because a great many players have by then have played all four majors. Some have won them. Some have semis, and they've. It's been a long, long haul. I mean, it's is right, and so yeah, sure. There, there can there absolutely are dips. But back to the point about Rafa. Play, committing to these tournaments because he wanted the number two seed at the Australian Open. And Joel, your point about do you, you're going to have to probably get through Novak one way or the other. Um, do you care if you play him in the semifinals or the finals? From a point of strategy, I want to play him in the finals because whoever he has to play in the semifinals, especially if it's team, could rough him up which I think is what we saw in the French Open this year. So well, from, true, from a very p fine strategical point in a sport where every slightest edge matters, I think all things on balance, yeah, let me see if I can play a few of these year-end tournaments, secure this, and make it real easy to get the number two seat. Well, also your point about the being uh, worn down by a semi, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like the player is artist warrior, the player as pragmatist warrior. So in other words, Nadal would never admit that to you. you would not, like if you asked Nadal, do you like the idea of your opponent being, uh, you know, going playing a, a, a five set, five hour semi and being worn down before your final? He would never admit that. Oh yeah. Well, there's no need to admit it. I mean, it goes without saying. Yeah, but there's, but so right, so it gets to the way of how, this is the challenge of trying to understand these folks in a way it's so, it's so complicated. You're right. So that's a great point. It's like, yeah, sure. I, I sure would like it if he had a tough semi, but in a way he would never admit that because he'd say, I'm just here to play him anyway. I don't right. care whatever he is. I don't care if he got a default. I, I don't care if he's fresh as a daisy. I'm here to play him no matter what. In fact, I want him to be as fresh as a daisy so I can beat him on genuine terms and all that stuff it's like it's like for years with the us open when they played the saturday semis and the sunday one and they're thinking well who's got the later semi and is that going to make them more tired than the guy who had the earlier semi and all this kind of stuff so whatever yeah it's it's, it's intriguing that, that's intriguing and again it's kind of i suppose so i suppose so yeah and also we just might, to be as high as possible we might be missing something else here one of the great motivators in the universe is doubt and uh, doing things that people don't think you can do, doing things that people think are hard to do. And Nadal hasn't won this tournament before. Nadal is... Uh, Paris, you're sorry, referring to. Yeah, P Paris Bercy. Uh, indoor hardcourt, a lot of people say he can't get it done on that surface. Obviously, the results uh, are far worse on that surface than any other conditions. For, for Rafa, not to mention the fact that there is another race going on between Nadal and Djokovic, and that is the total numbers of Masters 1000 events. 
And I believe it's 37 to 36 and Nadal trails mm. by one. So they're also dueling in that race. It's one of the, if you look at all the records, that is one of the most contentious and tightest records that, that these two are, are battling for outside of the majors. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of reason if Nadal wins Paris here, there's a lot he can say uh, that'll make him feel good about it. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think also Nadal, Nadal, you know, he's usually comes this fall indoor playing, having, having played way, way more matches. So the fall time of year has been harder for him because his body is, is quite worn down. Um, I don't know how much he's thinking about how many master style he has compared. You know, it's like these guys have won so many titles and so many records and so many numbers, but sometimes I think it's just a matter of like, yeah, I'd like to get that title whether it's his 37th and I'd like to get this one too. Sorry, yeah. my, for those of you listening on the podcast, my cat just walked in front of my um, computer on YouTube. I apologize. Happy uh, Halloween. <laughs> yeah, trick or treat. yeah I, I mean, we saw how uh, meaningful it was for Novak to win Cincinnati for a second time, Western and Southern, because that made it every Masters 1000 twice. So I think the, yeah. and, and Amy, you talked about how important titles are. Nadal's got a really big trophy case. He's missing the, the Paris, the Paris. I mean, Masters for trophy. me, uh, for, and for any of our listeners and viewers that play the sport of tennis, you know how hard it is to win a tournament. I don't care if you only need, you know, three matches or two matches to win the tournament. Um, you have in your mind's eye winning the thing and lifting the trophy and it's like a journey that you go on and for me that is a major accomplishment to win tournaments and the masters of uh, tournaments have so much value attached so much cachet that i think it's a big deal this is going to be a weird one paris in the dead of winter with no fans whatsoever indoors it's going to be a strange feel for a Masters uh, 1000 tournament, but I am excited. And I, at, on one hand, I'm always on my toes at this time of year because I'm, I'm wondering, is something crazy going to happen here? Well, no, that's, that, that's the point. I mean, again, now this year is so different because it's not like people have played all these matches. You know, they're there. So, but things, yeah, things can happen. And, uh, and uh, historically they have, like this tournament has had some unusual winners. For sure. Yeah. Like yeah, and, and what I said about shrinking the calendar, it really doesn't apply to this year because of COVID. And, right. you know, the numbers are going up again, the cases. So we can all use a little bit of cheer. So I'm actually glad that Novak and Rafa are playing and these year-end tournaments. And um, I only wish Roger could play. Yeah, well, we like cheer, we need cheer. And let's end on some cheer. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of three. We hope you enjoyed it. Leave a comment on YouTube, like the video. We are also available on all podcast platforms and we greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you next time on the next episode of three.